Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. Praise God. But you know, we're going to overcome this and we're going to survive. Not only survive, we're going to thrive, we're going to prosper, we're going to increase in the name of Jesus. You will get jobs this period. You make sure you're not saying what people are saying, okay? Don't say people are losing their job. You're not people. You're a royal priesthood. Amen. You're a holy nation. You're God's child. Listen, our best days are here. Glory to God. This period, you will get jobs. You will prosper. The favor of God is going to be on your life. And this is one period where there's going to be a huge difference between those who serve God and those who do not serve God. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm believing for supernatural increase all the way. Praise God. Amen. All right. Let's get into the Word. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you because I'm anointed to teach your Word. And thank you because your people are anointed to receive and to get our faith is built up in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. I thank you because the Holy Ghost lives big on my inside and grants me utterance. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Alright, so we started talking about the, um, the faith that overcomes the world. How many of you followed that seminar at home? Praise God. And I felt like, you know, you know how you, you, you finish eating and you feel like there's more. Amen. I just felt like there's more to that message. And in fact, interestingly, I was building on that message and, you know, up until this morning, I mean, I was still just building on it. So I'm teaching directly from my notes. I regularly just type and make it look good. But this is just my own study note. But I think that there are certain things God wants to share with us. Amen. I was talking, go to First Timothy chapter 3. I was talking to one of our uh, our service team members yesterday, and he mentioned something. He mentioned his uh, desire to, uh, he was talking about his desire to attend a Bible school, that, you know, he really wants to attend a Bible school to get a knowledge of God's Word. And I told him something, which I stand by and I believe. Every Every church should be a Bible school. Are you following this? Come on, I said, are you following this? Every church should be a Bible school. Church was not designed for entertainment. It was designed for education. You know, sometimes you go to some places and you are teaching and people say, ah, this feels like a Bible school. That's exactly, that's when you will know that you're in a church. Praise God. Are you hearing this now? So, the truth of the matter is that if you're in a church where the word is taught, you would have less need to attend a Bible school. Bible schools are covering what the church should do. Bible schools are like lesson teachers. Right? A lesson teacher helps you to just amplify what has been taught in school. And that's why you must approach uh, our meetings that way. If you are in this church, you should approach this local church in that way. That's why I recommend everybody, you should have a note for the things I teach. I spend my time to study these things, but you should have a note for the, for the things I teach. So you can follow. This is not where you're going to get seven steps to this, six steps to this, seven steps to this, seven steps. There's nothing wrong with your life. Just learn more of God. 
and everything will be fine. Hallelujah. Are you following this now? So, why I'm saying that is, if you haven't listened to the seminar up until the last three, uh, four sessions I did in the seminar, uh, today might look a bit strange to you, but I'm not going to go back to revise all of that. You go back and download that. Now, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. <clears throat> It says, I'm writing these things to you, verse 14, hoping to come to you before long. I'm using the New American Standard Bible today. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. How do you conduct yourself in the household of God? He says, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So the church is the pillar of truth. The church is the support, the ground, the pillar of truth. There is a, there is a way to conduct yourself in the church. Praise God. Come on, are you here now? Now, one of the ways to conduct yourself in the church is to conduct yourself as a student, as a disciple, to learn. That's one of the conduct. One of the conduct of a true believer is the conduct of a student. That means that when your teacher is teaching, you pay attention, you take notes. You are approaching church service like a student. You're not approaching like you're coming for fashion parade. You know, most times I literally have to ask my wife, what did I wear last Sunday? If not, you just imagine pastor wearing one shirt every Sunday, wearing shirt every Sunday. You know what? My greatest priority, in fact, this morning, uh, my wife came to, to, my, to our prayer room and she was like, service will soon start. Are you not ready? I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to get my notes together because I explained, I mean, she's the one I preach to all the time. Any message I'm preaching to you, I would have preached the summary to her. And I'm like, you know what? The way I explained it to you yesterday was fantastic. But I'm just thinking that if somebody comes to church today who doesn't have an idea of what I'm teaching, how do I make it simpler for that person? That's my overriding passion, not how I look on camera. It should also be your overriding passion. Your overriding passion for coming here every Sunday and every Wednesday is what am I going to learn, not what am I going to wear. I mean, you should dress well. But do you understand what I'm saying? So church is not just a place for entertainment. Ah, the, the praise time is too long. Let's extend it. If you praise without knowledge, you will praise amiss. So we must, you know, because if you don't have an understanding of God, that's when you begin to sing some kind of song. Holy Spirit, don't leave me. Holy Spirit, don't leave me. And he had already said in his word, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. You don't need to sing that to him again. He's not dumb. Are you following this now? So our increase in knowledge is our increase in understanding on how to praise God aright. So I want you to have that mindset as we make progress. That our church is a school. That's the mind. That's your mindset. Are you following what I'm saying? That's your mindset. To learn. So we can be able to fulfill the purposes of God. Praise God. First John chapter 2. Verse 16. So we're talking about faith that overcomes the world, part 4. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Praise the name of the Lord. 1 John 2, 16. It says, verse 15, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. 
do not love the world. Do not love the world. What is the Bible talking about here? Is it saying don't love houses, don't love, do not love the world? What is it talking about? And I've explained this in the, in the uh, previous part. Not the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, look at this, the love of the Father is not in him. So, you cannot mix these things up. He says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Now, he goes on to say, for all that is in the world, he's now defining the things in the world. Now, that word, the things there, he's defining it now. For all that is in the world, what are these three things? Number one, what is it? Come on, everyone. The lust of the flesh. Come on now. Number two, the lust of the eyes. Number three, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So, he identifies three things. It identifies three things, and I've explained this in the several parts. I've just built on. He identifies three things. Number one, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I said to you during the seminar that Eve had to go through this temptation. Jesus had to go through this temptation. Every one of us daily, we are faced by this temptation of the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. Every day. That is the corrupting system of the world. Now you must understand something. That uh, John was not writing to unbelievers. You know, for instance, when we say somebody is in the world or somebody is worldly, we always tend to think of somebody who is not born again. No. The man who is not born again is not worldly. That man is dead in sin and trespasses. He's not alive. You can only be worldly when you already have an idea of what the kingdom is. So it's only a believer that can be worldly. And that believer is called a carnal Christian. You know, there are levels of Christianity. There are carnal Christians. There are those who just want the ticket not to miss hell. But they don't care about the purposes of God. They'll do everything a sinner does. But they still just want to make sure on the last day, on the last day, they don't want to miss the last day. Their own is just last day. The day before the last, they don't care. They live the way they want to live. That's carnal Christians. Filled with strife. Paul says, are you not carnal? So, a man that is in the world is not worthy. That man is dead. In sin and trespasses. That's why we cannot say that we gave our life to Christ. We say it popularly, but it's not a correct statement. You have no life to give. When you got born again, you received the life of Christ. You are already dead. There was no life in you to give. Like in 1992, I gave my life to Christ. What life did you have? No. In 1992, you accepted the life of Christ. Because He shared His life for you. Are you following this now? Because you were dead. Come on now. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Let me show you here. Ephesians 2.1 You know, for instance, there are certain languages we use. It's okay, it's not like it's wrong. But I just want to say that there are certain things were said a long time that we constantly say and it just makes meaning. For instance, someone says, I'm going to church. You know, the best word to say is, I'm going for fellowship. Because you are the church. Praise God. You don't go to you. <laughs> but you are the church. The same thing. When I gave my life to Christ, this is just a popular word, but you had no life to give. Because in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, the Bible says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. 
You were dead in your trespasses and sin. So what happened when you got born again is you heard a message and you received the life of the man who brought that message, which is Jesus. Is that okay? Colossians 2.13 Colossians 2.13 Look at this now. When you were dead in your transgression and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now, look at that word there. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven. That means it was after you have been forgiven that you became alive. Did you see that? So, the sinner out there is dead. He has no life. Unfortunately, those are our models of living. People that the scripture called dead. We're going to talk about this, about the influence of the world. Because you realize that even the church, we allow ourselves to be influenced by the world. Subtile influence of the world. That's why we require faith to overcome the world. If not, you would not know that you are under the dominion of the world if you do not from scriptures analyze what the world is. Look at this. It says you were dead in your transgressions and in your circumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our what? Transgression. If you look at Luke chapter 15 verse 24 the prodigal son the father said this my son was dead but is now alive. This my son was dead but is now what? Alive. Luke fifteen twenty four. But we know physically that the child, the boy, did not um, die like physically, right? But he was living a life that was not in consistency with the will of the father. Spiritually, that is referred to as death. When Adam and Eve partook of the of the fruit that God said they should not partake of, the Bible says they were dead and driven out of the garden. What happened? They were separated from the life of God. So when a man is separated from God, when he doesn't have the life of God in him, that man is called dead. Are, are you hearing this now? Okay. So why am, why am I establishing all of this? It's only a believer that can be worldly. The man out there you say is a worldly man is actually a dead man. He has no idea of any other type of life. It is you who have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light that the love of this world can propel you to begin to live worldly. And when we talk about living worldly, most times what we talk about is maybe the way you dress and all of that. It's way beyond that. You are dressing the way you are dressing because you are influenced by someone. Your outward apparel is an internal influence of your mind. So, for instance, if I, if I dress in a certain way, I feel like I'm not current. Who defines what is current? A dead man that's in the world. And so, you see that unconsciously, I'm beginning to dress in a certain way because actually my mind is being controlled by a system out there that defines what fashion is. This thing is going to get heavy. I like the way you are quiet. There is no place for amen in this message. Are you following this now? So we need to constantly immerse ourselves in the world to be able to identify if we are being driven by these things. And that's the primary use of our faith. You see, we have reduced the use of our faith in the body of Christ to just things. Things are the smallest thing to get in the kingdom. 
what God really wants us to use our faith for is to be able to impart the world with the life of Christ. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, you realize that most of the things that was listed about those people, none of the type of houses they stayed was listed. None of what they had was listed. Abraham was a rich man. Job was a rich man. I mean, these guys had resource. But in Hebrews chapter 11, none of the things they listed, they had was listed. Everything that was listed was what they used their faith for in accomplishing the greater purposes of God. So you see what? In the Christian faith, we don't rate people by what they have. We rate people by what they are able to use their faith to accomplish for the greater purpose of the kingdom of God. What you have is irrelevant in the kingdom if your faith is not achieving things for God. Talking about faith that overcomes the world. So you know, you know when I wanted to start the seminar, the first, if you observe the first message I sent out, I said we're going to have a faith conference. Then I changed it to Kingdom Bible Seminar. Because immediately I said, faith conference, I know people's minds. Man, pastor is going to teach us how to receive. Ah, this my faith has been weak. Need to be strong. How can I be driving one car by now? I need more faith. <laughs> so I had to change it. Because you know that, listen now, listen to this. You know even that word faith has been corrupted in the church. When we talk about faith, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Come on, be honest. Come on, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? How to get stuff, a job, a promotion. When last did you use your faith to lead someone to Christ? When last did you say, you know what, this cultist in my street, I'm going to believe God, I'm going to put my faith on the line and get this person into the kingdom. Have you seen how selfishly we have taught faith in church? And that thing, that selfishness is also a part of the world. That's selfish. Now. I mean, you can, you can get stuff. I use my faith to get stuff. But it's the least thing. That's why you see me. When I stand here, I mean, it takes, except, except it's a very private meeting. You will never hear me mention whatever I have. How much I have, what, you will never hear me mention that. Because it is this significant to the purposes of God. Are you following what I'm saying? Someone yeah, we are sharing those testimony to stir people's life. The scripture says we should stage other to good works. Why don't you stir people to raising the dead? Why don't you stir people to healing the sick? Come on now. Come on, come on. Why don't you stir people in church planting? Right? But how do you want to stir people's life? You know, as I'm going this way now, you realize that some people's interest in the message is beginning to drop. Yeah, I'm telling you now. You just see it in their body language. Say, Let's close this Bible. This is not... We're talking of refit here. You know, because we've almost trained ourselves that if it's not connected to materialism, then it, it doesn't have anything to do with my life. Because we have been raised to be self-centered. And as far as the enemy can get you self-centered, you will never lift your eyes to the greater purposes of God. Listen to me. If you're self-centered, you'll never fulfill God's will for your life. Because that ambition on your inside will constantly drive you out of the will of God for your life. I'll talk about promotion. I'll talk about promotion. We'll, we'll get there. Look at this now. 
Look at this. Where are we? What's the last scripture we read? Luke, Luke 15, 24. Okay, what did we read before Luke 15, 24? 1 John 2. The time is going. I've not even started. 1 John 2, 16. <laughs> 1 John 2, 16, right? Okay, go to verse 17. The world is passing away. Now, when we talk about the world is passing away, what we tend to always look at is the globe. Right? But that's not the context of this now. Because he has already defined the world to us. That's the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and all of this is passing away. And also it's lost. Now, observe this now. Look at this now. This is the world. The world always comes with its lust. I want you to, this word lust, don't, like I said in the seminar, don't look at it from just a sexual connotation, but look, it's a very important word in this discussion. Lust. Observe it. James uses it, Peter uses it, Paul uses it. We're going to deal with it. And it's lost. The world has its own lust. The world and its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now, observe this now. I wish I had a board. It's got world here. It's got is lost here. But when it comes to this side, it talks about doing the will of God. So it means that it contrasts the world and its lost with the will of God. Are you following? Just pay attention. Okay? Now, it means that what fights the will of God is the world and is lost. Yeah? So you see why Romans chapter 12 now begins to make meaning to you. That you have to renew your mind so you can be able to prove what the will of God is. Because if you don't renew your mind the worldly lost will look like the will of God for you. Do you know that if Satan comes, the way you see Satan in pictures, uh, black, I don't know why they made Satan black, black with, with tail and feck, big dagger. You know if he comes that way, you know you never fall into his temptation. Yeah? Do you know you never fall into temptation like that? But do you know what causes you to fall into temptation? Do you know James explains it? What causes you to fall into temptation? You're lost. So Satan is not as powerful as you think. What Satan does is he implants this lust in your heart. Those lusts will be driving you to pursue an agenda that looks legitimate, but which will be for your own destruction. Are you following this now? So he says, the world is passing away. The lust of the world is passing away. And his lust is passing away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. That means eternity is established in doing the will of God. That is the way to preserve my legacy on the earth is to do God's will. The way to live forever is to do God's will. Are you following this now? Okay. So faith is essentially not to get things. Faith is to please God. Faith is to please God. Hebrews 11.6 Look at this now. Hebrews 11.6 Follow this. Follow this. Follow this carefully and prayerfully. Get the message and listen to it again. Hebrews 11.6 Look at this. Thank you Lord Jesus. 
Hebrews 11.6 And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who do what? Who, those who do what? Come on, those who do what? Those who seek prosperity? Come on, those who seek husbands? Those who seek children? Those who seek jobs? Who does God reward? So what do you use your faith to do? To seek Him. When last did you use your faith to seek God? Someone say, oh pastor, are you against prosperity? You can't be sitting in this kind of church and ask that kind of question. Do we look poor? So you can't be saying we are against prosperity. We can't be against it. We are against the misuse of faith. So the man uses his faith to seek God. To seek, how do you seek God? You seek his will. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because God is going to require in carrying out his will that you use faith. To trust God. Praise God. You think, for instance, when the Lord led us here to plant the church, you think we had all of these. No, we had to come by faith. We had to come by faith. Praise God. And I'm going to talk about that. I, I hope I can get that in this service. When we will talk about marriage, in choosing who to marry, you have to use faith. Because the scripture says, <laughs> That charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears God. So, let me talk about this. In case I miss it. Right? He mentions three things there. Give me that scripture quickly. Proverbs 31.30. Let me just show you how this thing works. How faith works in this thing. We'll come, we'll come to it. But let me just show you that. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But how many of you know that this world never says beauty is vain? What do we run after? Come on now, talk to me. What do we run after? But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So three things are mentioned there. What, are, what is the three things mentioned there? Charm. Hmm? Beauty. And what? The fear of the Lord. Let's be honest. If you listen to a lot of relationship teachings... What do they emphasize when you are trying to choose a wife? Charm. So when the woman walks into that room, she should have presence. What's the next thing they, they advertise? Beauty. What's the thing they put third? Fear of the Lord. What does the will of God say in this place? What will faith require you to put first? Are you seeing where you need to use your faith now to marry? I'm not saying go and marry an ugly person. Of course, there's nobody who is ugly. That's the truth. People are just beautiful based on your own personal perception. Have you seen some men marry some women and you tell yourself, what did this woman see? Have you, have you heard that? And that's it. The eyes of understanding was enlightened that she knew the mystery of that man, behind that man. 
Are you following what I'm saying? But, but you see where I'm, I'm talking about using faith now. So, what does faith do? Faith says, the world teaches me to choose a woman by her charm and her beauty, but I would, I would, I would renew my mind where choosing a woman is concerned. And I'll go for the fear of the Lord. You see, that's where we are beginning to have problems in church. And I want to deal with this. I just permit me to flow. And, and we are beginning to have a problem with it because you now hear Christian sisters say, Christian brothers are not romantic. Are you following what I'm saying? So you now see somebody who will be serving the Lord all her life and the day she decides to marry, she now goes and marry a very bad boy because the boy is very romantic and understands how to work with charm and beauty. And she forsakes the fear of the Lord. And this is deep. Because in 1 Kings chapter 11, God speaking about Solomon says, the women that Solomon married turned his heart away from God. So God knows that marriage is not just the union of a man and wife. God knows that marriage essentially will influence the dimensions of your heart. So he says, if you want to marry, go for someone who fears the Lord, so that when they influence your heart, they will influence it in the direction of the fear of God. Because there are people who were very spiritual until they got married to beauty and they became beauticians. I mean, there's nothing wrong with beauty, but you know what I'm saying? And they began to pursue vanity. Come on, are you still here? So that's just an example in marriage. I'll talk to you about promotion. Let's go on. Go into Colossians chapter 1 verse 10. Colossians 1 10. Talking about faith to overcome the world. We're still on that phrase. Colossians 1 10. How do we overcome the world? Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. For this reason also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If I want to ask you a question this morning, if I ask you how much of God's will for your life do you know? How many Christians can boldly come and say, you know what? I know God's will for my life. He said, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will. Look at the next verse. So that you will work in a manner worthy of the Lord, look at this, to please Him in all respects. Can you see this now? So, the knowledge of God's will helps you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and helps you to please Him in all respect. Now, how do you please God in all respect? The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Are, are you following this now? So, when we know God's will, it takes faith to act the will of God. Let's look at giving, for instance. It takes faith to give. Because the human tendency is to hold back. It takes faith to love. Because the human tendency is to hate. We're going to deal with that. So you see that the tool of faith that God is giving to us is to see that, listen, I'm going to act on the Word of God. I'm going to live the Word of God regardless of what the world defines. Praise God. Second Peter chapter, chapter 1. Go to Second Peter chapter 1. And this is heavy. 
Because we need to begin to discern. The world is coming at us very strong. We need to discern it. Because I'm seeing, if, in fact, I'm having conversations with myself regarding ministry. And I'm, I'm seeing how, how gradually we, we, if we're not careful, we allow the world's definition of success to impact the way we run ministry. Because there's what is, there's what is, do you realize that most times, and, and I want to, and I really want to say this, and I really want to say it to all of you who are members of this local church and those who listen to me. Do you realize that sometimes the, there's nothing wrong with your life? The only problem you have is that you don't have contentment and lack of patience. There's nothing wrong with you. Do you realize that as all of us are seated here now, right? As all of us are seated here, we all have a level, different levels of wealth and different levels of increase. But you realize there is a message I can preach to you this morning. You will feel like you have not arrived. You will be believing God for breakthrough. Right? Yeah, that's the truth. All of us here feel like we need more. <clears throat> that thing, you need to deal with it. You need to put self-control. If not, the day you will do ritual killing for money, you will not know. It will come like a subtle suggestion. Just put the thing in his food. Put the thing in his food. You will have money. Your heart. No, I'm telling you. Go and see all the people they parade as armed robbers and ritual killers, killers. Look at their name. Endurance. Patience. John the Baptist. You know, they are all Christians. They have an affiliation with church. But they have not been able to derobe themselves of this world. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? So every time, and I'm saying this now on purpose, because every time you approach God, you do not approach God with a sense of gratitude. You approach God like He must do more. So you are never grateful. In fact, you are very ungrateful. Ah, God, do it again. Oh, God. God said, what about the one yesterday? Father, do it. Do, you are the doer. You realize that most of the names we call God are the names that exalt Him to do things for us, not names of exaltation, not names of. Do you, do you, you see what Paul said? Let's, I mean, let's examine these things. Let's have this conversation. You know what Paul said? He says, "Nothing shall separate me from the love of God." And he goes on to mention terrible things: not death, not life, not tribulations, not hunger, not famine. How many of you does transport separate you from the love of God? Transport. Hundred naira. How many of you does family meetings separate you from the love of God? We don't even need all those things to separate us from the love of God. Just tiny stuff. And we are complaining. Ah God, after serving you for two and a half years, you are treating me like this. Two and a half years. And Paul was writing from prison. And he writes to believers and says, Rejoice in the Lord. I say rejoice. How can a man write from prison writing to people who are free and he tells them to rejoice. What kind of man is that? What kind of man is that? That joy that Paul had, very few of us have it. Because all it needs for some people to be sad is the fact that the rain is falling. Even from their own house, they will not write rejoice. They will say, complain, I say to you again, complain. Yeah, I'm telling you. How can a man be in prison and he writes to people who are outside prison and says to them, rejoice. I say to you, rejoice. It means he found something. It's the same thing Joseph had when he went to meet the prisoner and said, why is your face sad? How can a prisoner ask another prisoner, why is your face sad? 
And I see all over. I'm sorry if this offends anybody, but I don't apologize for it. I see all over. Even pastors recommending Christians to go to psychologists for depression. I'm depressed. Go for counseling. Go for therapy. Like what therapy would Paul have required? After being flogged 40 strokes, three times, shipwreck, he would have had madness. There's something that Christianity brings that we have not yet found. And the reason we have not found it is because we have inundated our lives with materialism. And so the true joy of our salvation we're yet to find. Because most of us did not get born again because we heard the message of Christ. Most of us got born again because pastors drew us to church with our problems. Our problems is the centerpiece of our interaction with this being called God. That's the issue. What brought you to Christ is that you are looking for a child. What brought you to Christ is that you are looking for a job. What brought you to Christ is that you are looking for a husband. What brought you to Christ is not the depravity of the sinful nature. And you are saying, Lord, I know that there is a divine nature that I want. That's not what brought most of us to Christ. And that is the number one reason why we don't know how to preach. That's why you can't lead people to Christ. Because you were never led to Christ. You are led to Solution House. So if I ask you now, go out in the street and preach. You know what you are going to say? A pastor can teach. And it's a, it's a bit difficult to lead people to Christ like that. So if we were doing miracles and this thing, it's easy. Say, what do you have? Say, have you have it? Ah, I say, come, come, come. Just one, one bottle of water. One bottle. So you realize that most believers cannot authenticate the gospel. I challenge you. I'll put this out to you. I challenge you to sit with a Muslim. And have conversations of the faith with them and see how you end up. You'll be embarrassed. Go and sit with the Muslim. And let them tear the Bible apart for you. And try to put it back together. You will even realize you don't know what you believe. Because you were never brought up that way. You were only brought up with today. God will do it. I say, my God, yeah, I receive. I receive. And you know, I receive does not convince anybody. Because how do you now preach to a man like Dangote, who is the wealthiest African man. How do you sit with him and present a gospel to him that God wants to prosper you? The man is building a refinery. Do you understand that? I will tell him to live a good life. There are Muslims who don't commit adultery. There are Christians who have side chicks all over in every street. So what do you preach? Because morality is not, is not, even in terms of, they are, see, they are, they are people who don't know God, who will not tell you a lie. Are you getting what I'm trying to teach you this morning? There are people who will not cheat on you, they will not tell you a lie, they are straightforward. Are you following this? I mean, there was a guy who was fixing my clothes for me. He's a, he's a great guy. He was, he's a Muslim. You know, so one day I told him, ah, why don't you go to church? I, I've never seen you go to church. Which church do you attend? It was that day I knew he was a Muslim. Straight forward guy. Get your job done. There are Christians who you will see the material. They say, ah, don't cut him. Ah, he can't join back again. Now, wow. <laughs> You're in, in your front. They haven't. So the question is, what do you want to preach? So this thing goes beyond just 
I'm not a sinner. I'm not. I'm, no, no. It's about finding a life that brings you into another kingdom that defines everything about you. Defines your speech. Defines your dressing. Defines your speech. Defines who you can sit among. Say, blessed is the man who seated not in the midst of the ungodly. Because you know what we like in Psalm 1? Everything he does shall prosper. We like that one. We don't like not sitting in the midst of the ungodly. So you know what we do? We sit in the midst of the ungodly all day and we want everything we do to prosper. Are you still here? Let's look at this now. Second Peter chapter 1. Are you getting something this morning? We're talking about faith to overcome this world. This world is strong. The God of this world is operating. We need to find out how he operates so we can overcome him. Second Peter chapter 1. You know, sometimes you hear funny stories and you're asking yourself, are these people born again? You hear a pastor went to collect power to grow his church. So you would ask him, you would ask yourself, right, that what, who is he growing the church for? Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Have you heard such stories? Okay. So a pastor goes to collect power so he can grow his church. So the question is, listen, if this is God's church and God has called me to manage the church and I do what God says, if the church is not growing, that's his problem. Are you following what I'm saying? You know, in fact, during the live streaming, some people reached out to me and said, Pastor, you preach on the live stream as if you are preaching to a lot of people. Even in the bathroom, that's how intense I preach. I preach whatever message God has put in my heart to any. If nobody shows up, I will still preach with the same intensity. God judges me by my faithfulness in how I preach what I preach. But what I'm trying to say is that when a man now goes to dabble into things for his church to grow, it's not that he wants to grow the kingdom, he wants to become famous. It's the pride of life. Can you find it there? So, it is the pride of life that will make somebody do something evil to achieve a good purpose because he wants people to see that he's doing well. That is what most people would have done. They would have slept with Potiphar's wife and when Joseph would have been promoted, he would have seen that, oh, Joseph is now working in Potiphar's palace. So he say, oh, I tap into that grace. I tap into that grace. And meanwhile, he has slept with Potiphar's wife. So, you see, the world makes you to do things that are not right to achieve what God originally planned for you. God originally planned for you that you will be a minister, you will be blessed, prosperity will come your way, and he, you lack self-control. You start raising money unnecessarily because you want to buy a car one year after church plans. Meanwhile, if you stay in that faith and do your work faithfully, ten years' time, that car will come to you without blinking of an eye. I mean, my life is a testimony. We've used three cars. We've not had to buy anyone. Not one. All the cars we have are given to us as gifts. I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong to buy a car. I'm just saying that, listen. And if there's no car, there's nothing. I'll do the work. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You see, these, these things that look like legitimate desires, you must begin to prune them in line. Because that's why the scripture says, Paul said, he said, those who desire to be rich in this world, they will pierce themselves with many sorrows. How will they pierce themselves with many sorrows? They will open themselves up. And the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, will begin to drive them. 
And I sometimes say, oh, my husband used to be faithful until he had money. It's when his money came, that money uh, entered. No, the man was too poor to sin. He was too poor to sin. What money did was to amplify what was already in him. Are you following this now? Let's build this thing now. Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a born servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He puts the word servant before an apostle. <laughs> I see the way we fling titles around today. Apostle. Apostle. No Facebook is easy to edit. You have a friend on Facebook. It starts with pastor. The next one month, apostle. The next one, prophet. Because some of us think that these things are promotion. You start as an evangelist. You become a pastor. You become a right reverend. You become... You know, a friend of mine told me the other day that he wanted to do his ordination as reverend. I, I said, why, why do you want to ordain you? He said, ah, no, he has been a pastor for many years. They need to ordain him as reverend. And if you want to answer reverend, you don't need to waste... Well, I'm sorry. But don't put all those money in party and invite someone to ordain. Put reverend in front of your name. Yeah. I mean, there are some meetings I go. Some of you have seen my publicity, right? In fact, I think on social media, a lot more people refer to me as reverend. That's what they call me. Back at my home church, they call me bishop. All my youth I trained call me bishop. Some people call me apostle. I think the only thing they have not called me is prophet. <laughs> if I want to answer reverend, it's not if I want to, I, I don't answer that. I don't need an ordination. Ministry is service. It's not titles. That's why you get angry when they don't ordain you as a pastor. You fight. After being a foundation member of this church, we have the pillar that started the church. Hey, I'm supposed to be a pastor by now. Look at my mates. They are pastors. Because we raised the denominations that ordained zealous people as pastors and messed up the assignment. So once you have small Z, you can lead a parish. Once you have small Z, you can lead a center. Once you have small Z, it's the consecration of Jeroboam. Ordaining priests without calls. See, sometimes this thing called church growth can be selfish ambition. The fact that there's a need does not mean God is sending you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So you must purify where you really desire growth for the kingdom. Or you desire growth. So you say, we have 60 branches. <laughs> you know, someone came to me the other day. I said, like, so how many branches is this ministry planning to have? I said, none. All the branches were planted, were planted because there's been a need there. Someone placed a demand on us and we went there. There's no calculation. We have 10 in Europe, 10 in America, 10 in South America. If we have 10, fine. If we don't have, it's not my problem. Because if you're not careful of some of those tasks and targets, you will now begin to use people to achieve your vision. And it becomes a whole mass business empire. Again. We must be careful of this thing. This thing is the church of the living God. We must deal with it with care. It's not as we want, it's as the master wants. The same thing with your life. Don't just look at pastors. You need to be in the local church that God wants you to be in. If God doesn't want you here, take the door. Don't spend one more Sunday with us. Find out where God wants you and be planted there. It is those who are planted in the house of the Lord that shall flourish in the courts of our God. Find a local church and sit down and be trained and be taught. And if God sends you here, then you better get offense out of your heart and sit down and receive instructions. 
We need to have these conversations. Because this is not just a club. That, oh, I like his services. I don't like that services. And so, you take praise and worship somewhere. And then you take words somewhere. Then you go. You say, you say I, I like a pastor. He teaches a lot. But the man also be pray. So, I go prayer has go collect prayer. So, you hear praise and worship in winners. You come here to hear message. Then you collect prayer for prayer house. And you wonder why your life is confused. I hear what I'm saying. Are you still here? Go to First Peter, Second Peter, chapter one. To those who have received, <laughs> we've seen funny things. Eh? You think when I say some of these things, you think I just want to joke? It's true. I remember one time someone called us two years ago. Ah, hmm. that something is happening. Something is happening. I said, "What do you want?" He said, "That where is where she's collecting prayer? They say she should bring some money." So he's asking me. Member of this church, asking me now to bring money to go so he can go and collect prayer. Me, as, as, as the pastor, that since I don't know how to pray now, let me pay for my inability to pray. Yeah, I'm telling you, call. I should bring money. That the man said he should bring, so he says, he's telling his pastor, I should contribute. To those who have received, look at this phrase, look at this phrase. A faith of the same kind as ours. Can you see what Peter is saying? Peter is saying that the faith that you receive is the same they had. Let me explain the faith that Peter had. When they wanted to crucify Peter, Peter says, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my master. Turn me upside down. That means they crucified Jesus this way. They crucified Peter upside down. That's what church history tells us. He says that faith that I have not to deny that I felt unworthy to be crucified like Jesus and I took crucifixion with such joy is the same faith you have. See, these are the people I'm writing to. Simon Peter, a born servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received the faith of the same kind. The same kind of faith. Ours. Hmm, this is tough. By the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. But multiply to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything, everything pertaining to life. But you know, we always like when He talks about He has given us everything pertaining to life. But look at what He also says. He has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Character. He didn't just give us everything pertaining to life. He's giving us everything that also pertains to what? Godliness. Look at this. Through the knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us, glory to God, His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of his divine nature. How do you come to this place where you say, I'm a partaker of God's divine nature? You do it by faith. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world, look at that word again, by what? By lust. How does the corruption in the world operate? Lust. 
Can you see that word again? You see, Peter is speaking of that word again. Peter is saying the whole dimension of corruption that is in the world is lost. Let's even use a typical example. Let's not use a believer. Right? You have a contract to do something for your own town. Right? For your own town. Construct the road. You go and use fake materials. You go and use all kinds of stuff. Right? That's not good. So that what will happen? What's the ultimate end of doing that? Come on, talk to me now. We all know. We live in Nigeria. Don't come. Even everybody in the world knows what goes on here. So you can't tell me you don't know what's going on here. So that what will happen? So we'll get more money. When we get more money, who celebrates us? The same people we did bad roads for. Yeah? Because the definition of society is that once you have money, we all should worship you. Now look at what that corruption is going to do. Look at what that loss is going to do now. You know people are going to die in that road. People are going to have accidents they shouldn't have on that road. Do you realize that actually that you are a murderer? That you are not different from kidnappers? Yeah, I know some of you are thinking that because you work for such contractors. But because of what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, you cannot say, I can't do this. So you see that even though you are partaking of his divine nature, the lust of more money is still allowing that corruption to flow through your heart. And you are not even free from it. That's why we're talking about faith. Because you know what? This faith I'm teaching you will make you leave some jobs. And it's not like when you leave the job, you will get promotion. You leave the job and you might be jobless for some time. You will look very foolish in the eyes of men. That's the faith we're talking about now. That's the real faith we're talking about. The faith that says, I cannot partake of this. The faith that makes Daniel stand before Nebuchadnezzar and say, I will not eat this food. I'll deal with that on Sunday. Because that's what Babylon seeks to do. Babylon seeks to feed us. And the more we are fed by the food of Babylon, the more we begin to appreciate Babylon and begin to live the way Babylon wants us to live. And what the world wants to do is to redefine everything. You know, they're redefining marriage, redefining the role of women, redefining the role of men, redefining what divorce is. Everything is being redefined. Redefining what a successful man is. And constantly we buy into these things. (laughs) We buy into them. Look at this. Look at this. For by this, Second Peter chapter 1 verse 4, For by this has granted us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption as in the world by lost. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence knowledge, in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the fruit of your knowledge of Jesus is tested by the, the, the increased measure of these characters. Let's look at the example I just gave. Do you realize that if a man has brotherly kindness, he will not do a project that will make his brother die in the year, year, days to come or the years to come? 
Do, do you understand that? So how do you escape the corruption of the world by lust? It's by knowing that if I want to do anything as a believer, the virtue that must come out is what? Brotherly kindness. Do you see how you escape that? So you use faith to say, listen, I'm going to do this thing as if I'm doing it for my own brother. Now, let's take, I want to take three characteristics there. And they, oh my. Self-control, perseverance, and brotherly kindness. Write them down. Self-control, perseverance, and brotherly kindness. Let's just take those three virtues. These are the things we can use to overcome the world. There are many there. But let's look at this, right? Why is it that people do a lot of things they shouldn't do? Number one is lack of self-control. Lack of self-control. If you don't have self-control, you will do things you shouldn't do. You know, do you understand that this thing called self-control can even prevent adultery in marriage? We don't talk about these things. We don't talk about self-control as the fruit of the Spirit, but it is the fruit of the Spirit. It is a divine nature. The ability to restrain yourself. Self-control can prevent you from, you know, how, why are people scammed most times? People are scammed because they lack self-control. Bring 20,000, you'll get 30. Bring 20, you bring as, as much as, in fact, unfortunately, I'm sorry to say, I'll say it again. I'm sorry to say, there is no believer who really, really authentically follows scripture that will fall for the scam of MMM. Unfortunately, preachers preached it from the pulpit. In fact, the pastor told me, this is God's escape plan for the believers. Where are we today? Because the scripture already tells us that he that makes haste to be rich shall not be innocent. That means when a believer is pursuing prosperity, you pursue it with self-control, perseverance, and brotherly kindness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know it's going to take time. There are things we're doing in this ministry we couldn't do for like seven years. There are things we're doing in this ministry in seven years we couldn't do three years ago. What brought us here? Perseverance. Self-control. Yeah. There are things I can do in my life that I couldn't do many years ago. There are things I want to do in my life right now I can't do and I won't stress myself. And let me tell you something. I say it all the time. And my wife is here is a witness. I'm one person who has zero anxiety. As you are seeing me here, nothing is bothering me. Nothing. Nothing, not one thing. There's a, oh, yeah, I'm just thinking, hey, Father, nothing. When I go to sleep, I go and sleep. Ah, how will COVID 19, how will this impact the church? Anyhow, impact the church. When it has finished impacting the church, we'll start again. There's nothing. Ah, your children, when they grow up, great shall be their peace because they have been taught of the Lord. What about tomorrow? If there's no food, if people don't sow into your life, I was young but now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, not their seed back for bread. Those are the promises that, and I'm not just calling, these are, these are what my life is built on. There is zero anxiety. Zero. Not there. <laughs> are you hearing what I'm saying? Because it is by these precious promises we escape the corruption that's in the world. If not, you know what will happen? In attempt to secure my children's future, I'll begin to do ministry for money. For you know, I'll be preaching seed, 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 seed. Because I want to pay school fees. When things are tough, seed. When things are tough, seed. Before you know, I'll begin to lie in the name of the Lord. I was sleeping this morning. And God just spoke to me. There are 10 people here for 10,000. For 10 specific promises. In 10 days. In 10 minutes. And you, you those are the things you like. You know, as we're sitting here, right? 
to take the offering. I don't know how much you are going to give today. But you know that if I stand up and give you some of those hot messages and raise money, right as we are here, we can raise 100,000. You know, right? You, you know, because you have given in some of those meetings. You need to go and collect your money back. Are you following what I'm saying? But what drives those things? I mean, there's a genuine place of asking your people to give. There's a place of giving sacrificially. I hope you understand what I'm saying. But there is a place where the greed of the pastor drives the giving. That's what I'm talking about. These things are legitimate. But what is the driving force? If it is driven by the love of God, you know, I was telling someone the other day, I was telling a pastor the other day, it might look strange, but I told him, I said, you know what? We need to tone down on our people this period. Some of them have lost their jobs. Some of them have not been paid. This is not the time to always be preaching the widow of Zarephath. The widow of Zarephath. A shepherd should be compassionate. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Can you know some of the messages that are going to run through the pulpit now? Sow in the days of the famine. Break in the day. Listen, you need to calm down. You ask yourself, what is the motivation for preaching that message to people? Is it so that they will genuinely have a breakthrough? Or because you need more funds to complete some projects? But if you have brotherly kindness, you will not go that route. Come on, are you still here? Praise God. Are you learning something this morning? We're talking about how can we escape the corruption that's in the world. It also impacts you on your giving. If you're thinking of yourself only, you will not give to the kingdom. But if you have faith, you can lay aside for the kingdom and say, I want the message to go forth. Why do we give? So people can hear more messages like this. That becomes your own act of faith. Are, are you following what I'm saying? Look at this now. Let's, let's look at this. Praise God. Will I be able to do James now? Let's go to James. Let me see. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're going to continue on Sunday with this thing. Go with me to James. Let me say this now. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Let's build this. James 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source, is not the source, your pleasures that wage war in your members. He says, what's causing this conflict? What's causing this anxiety? He says, he says it's your pleasure that wage war in your members. Civil war. <laughs> verse 4, verse 2. You're lo- you lost, sorry, and do not have. So you commit murder. What is the murder he's talking about here? Murder is defined. First John chapter 3, verse 11. That he that does not love his brother... So what he's trying to say, if we want to rewrite this verse, is to say, you lost and do not have, so you forsake brotherly kindness. You are envious and cannot obtain. You are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You can simply ask God for these things. You can go before the Lord and ask Him. That's why one prayer you must never pray in your life. It's, oh God, see what you have done for that person. What about me? Don't pray those competitive prayers. Ask God for what you want to ask God for. Leave people alone. Oh God, bless me so that people will see. In fact, the most unfortunate one is do it in my life so people will know that you are God. Whether God does it 
or he does not do it, he is God. Just ask God for what you want and become. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Look at this. You know, I mean, I appreciate testimonies and testimonies are God's goodness. We, we, I mean, we have tremendous testimonies safely in this ministry. Tremendous testimonies. There's a brother who shared a testimony. I think we had that documented. Um, they, he had this job. He wasn't a permanent staff and all that. And it was a day I just said, everybody should come. Whatever they're trusting God for, I'm going to agree with them. I mean, if you remember that day, if you're in church. And I just agreed with him in Jesus' name. He went back. He was the least likely to get that. He was made a permanent staff. Praise God. You know one of the reasons I am very careful with people sharing testimonies here? It's because I haven't taught you certain things. Because sometimes when you hear those kind of testimony, instead of it to inspire faith, for some people that are not properly taught, it will inspire depression. When you go, oh, Jesus. Mm. Mm. My day will come. Do you understand? The whole of that week is bad. Because you just hear, some of you can't handle people's greatness. It is for your own good that you don't even know what God is doing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm telling you the truth. Because you know, in your mind, you have people that qualify for certain things. And so what will offend you the more is when God do it for people you don't like. When, the, when God discovered that Leah was hated, he opened the womb. You don't even know that your hatred for people opens them up to more breakthroughs. Are you hearing this? That's why if you remain small in your own eyes, God will keep exalting you. We're going to talk about this thing here. I need to finish this thing. Huh? So you must train yourself that when you hear testimonies, it inspires faith alone. Faith alone. No envy, no jealousy, no hatred. Faith alone. And that's a place of maturity. Because when you see people get what you want, you will know that. Ah, if you're a matured Christian. Imagine I'm here. And the pastor just comes, praise the Lord. You know, when we started our church seven years ago, we have like 3,000 members. <laughs> yeah, like, must you say everything? Must you say everything? They're struggling to hit 200. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know the next thing I'll do when I come on this pulpit? It's not every big church that is preaching the truth. It's a lie. That statement is a statement <laughs> about somebody who has 3,000. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's when we make statements like that. It's very funny. Because when you say, it's not every big church that is preaching the truth. That means your church must never become big. Because if your church becomes big, you will no longer preach the truth. Do you understand? So the problem you have is not truth. It's bitterness against a man whose church is bigger in that context. So you see some wisdom quotes... I'm masquerading envy. And, I'm, and you need to deal with this. You need to come to the place where you can comfortably sit with wealthy people and there's no iota of bitterness or entitlement in your heart. God will come with us. Even as pastors, we must deal with this. Because the tendency is that when you see a rich person, you feel this person can support my ministry. So you pay special attention to them. James talked about it. James talked about it. But when a poor man comes, you feel like this person doesn't have anything. And so you don't pay attention. You see, but if you have the faith that overcomes the world, you will pay equal attention to both of them, knowing that God is your source. So you see why all of us need this faith. 
Come on now. Say this now. You ask and do not receive. So even when you ask, you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives. Look at this. You ask with wrong motives. So that you might spend it on your pleasure. So the reason you want to be blessed, the reason you want to be famous, the reason you want to be popular, is for your own pleasure. It's not for the kingdom. It's not for the kingdom. It's for your own pleasure. God says, listen, I'm calling you for a greater purpose. Look at this. Verse 4. It goes on to say, you adulteresses. Why does he use the word adultery? Why is God speaking of adultery here? What is adultery? It's when you commit sexual immorality, when you're already in a marriage covenant. Why is God talking about adultery here? Because he's talking about you. I am married to you. You belong to me. You cannot go on flirting with the world and his lust and his pleasures and his pride of life. He was referring to the covenant that he has with you. For he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So you know that I cannot take on that ideology of the world because I'm married to Jesus. To shape the way we think. That every one of us is in a legal union with the Lord. We are married to Him. We are His bride. It should shape everything we do. It should shape everything we say. Praise God. Look at this. You adulteress. Do you not know that friendship with this world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So, whoever desires, wishes, it comes out of your will, your soul realm. Say, whoever desires to be friend with this world is an enemy of God. He makes himself an enemy of God. I want to push this quickly so that you get this before you go. Run with me quickly. Come come on, read on, read on. Verse 5. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives great, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore he says, I want to explain this scripture in context. Pay attention. Don't miss this. Everybody listen to this. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore he says, God is opposed to the proud, but give grace to the humble. The question in context there, who is the proud and who is the humble? The proud is the man who is engaged in envy, jealousy, hatred, who feels that by the loss of the world, I can get these things done. But the humble is the man who submits himself to God. Now listen to this carefully. You understand the scripture now. Verse 7 now says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Number one, what's the devil there? The devil is the God of this world. So, verse 1 to 4 tells us the operating system of the devil, which is envy, lust, anger, and hatred. So, he says, listen, when a man is submitted to God, he can resist the lust of this world, and he will flee from you, and God will give you grace. Do you understand that? It's not just saying, devil, get out, devil, get out. No, 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 no. It's good. You can cast out the devil like that. But what James is teaching us about submitting to God and resisting the devil is this. That God will give grace to the humble. Let me give you a typical example. Joseph stands before Potiphar's wife. It's not that he went to toast her. Potiphar's wife offered herself willingly. 
I said, come sleep with me. Joseph is in between two decisions. The world and his lost. Submitting to God and receiving grace. So if Joseph, and whether you like it or not, if Joseph sleeps with Potiphar's wife, he will gain promotion. There's nobody who can influence the husband like the wife. Listen, this thing is a technology. If you want to be close to any home, be close to the woman. I mean, I use that as a policy when I travel. When I go out to preach. Oh, God bless you, madam. God bless you. Oh, God bless you. Oh, God. You will come back to that church to preach. You might just say, that pastor from Nigeria, you have not invited him again. Just go and say, you'll be doing protocol and don't like the woman. You will not receive invitation. Once they just say, I'm thinking of inviting other pastor. No, 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 no. He preaches too long. You know, our church people don't like long messages. It's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. Okay. So he would have gotten promotion. But what did he do? He submitted to God. I fear God. What happened? God gave him grace. That grace made him to become the prime minister of Egypt. Did you see how the devil fled from him? The devil fleeing was actually Joseph fleeing. So every time we submit to God and we resist the lust of the earth, the lust of this world, we are positioning ourselves for grace. Do you see why when you understand the message like this, overcoming temptation becomes easy? Because once temptation comes, you know that this is an opportunity to access grace. But what will a pride man, what will a proud man do? A proud man will say, don't worry, I will sleep with Potiphar's wife and I will still get the promotion. He goes through that route because he thinks he can make God's word to come to pass in his own way. Are you following this now? I'll stop here. God bless you. God cause his face to shine upon you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng. Or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.